I think we lost our way. So we lost our focus and we lost our place at the bedside and we lost our passion for that hands-on nurse. Nurses, we do bodily care. We work with our, our hands and there's great pride, I think, into doing that. But we, we kind of turned away from that work. And what I think the last couple of years of COVID has shown us is that um, that work is, is what's needed. Based out of the University of the Fraser Valley on unceded traditional lands of the Stolo people, we are the Community Health and Social Innovation Hub, or CHASI for short. We support the social, mental, emotional, physical, and economic health of those living in our communities by bringing together experts from across disciplines. Those experts have some incredible stories and insights. To share those with the communities we serve, we bring you the Chassis Cast, a monthly program where we drill down on a current topic and chat about how it impacts our lives. Uh, so it's my pleasure uh, today to welcome uh, Dr. Shelley Canning to the Chassis Cast. And Dr. Canning is an associate professor in nursing, director of the Center for Education and Research on Aging, uh, member of UFE's Board of Governors, and most importantly from our perspective, a faculty associate uh, at Chassis. Um, so welcome. Thank you. I am actually delighted to do a Chassis cast. I've listened to all of the previous ones. Oh, that's great. And often we do this on my porch with a glass of wine. So I appreciate that it's the morning and we're not doing that. Yes, we do do those casts. <laughs> so I'm wondering, actually, if we can start with a really exciting initiative that you spearheaded, and that is the Age-Friendly uh, University. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about what it is and why it's important to you. So the Age-Friendly University initiative is, I think, a critically important initiative across, um, especially across institutions in countries like Canada, where we are anticipating a significant demographic change. And so I teach about aging to my nursing students and I always try to talk about that demographic change not in a fearful way because in fact we are looking at our current students at the peak of their careers working and living at a time where Canada will have a large proportion of people over the age of 60 and 65 and in fact an increasing proportion of Canadians over over the ages of 90 and over the ages of 100. Our centenarians are actually a rapidly growing population group. So it speaks to all kinds of things about healthcare and society, but the it's just simply a numbers fact. So if we are to prepare our students to um, be good social citizens and to understand they live in a time where there will be a lot of people in that older age demographic, then the idea of an age-friendly institution becomes increasingly important. And we have seen out of the WHO this initiative for age-friendly cities, communities, um, and a group of academics in the about 10 years ago in 2012 at the University, University of Dublin City, um, or Dublin City University, I think it is, they got together and were th thinking about this idea of this population change and what it means to be age-friendly and embrace uh, that demographic, they decided that 
hey, universities are the perfect place to take on some of that load and um, came up with nine principles that are age-friendly and started this global network of age-friendly universities. So that's a long answer to a clean question, Martha. But in short, we have now become the ninth Canadian university who are... um, who have a designation as an age-friendly university. We're the first in BC, which I think is a, a, lovely, um, a lovely place to start as the first. So I think it gives us all kinds of ways to partner with other universities and to look at, at doing some of the things we currently do better and doing some of the things that we currently don't do. I wonder, just on that note, if you thought about sort of your top of your wish list, what what do you envision that gets you really excited about those possibilities? I would love every student at UFB to have some education on aging and what it's like to live with dementia because that's the other piece of an aging society is that we see um, increasing numbers of people living with what are often typical or common types of health challenges and the one that can be often the most misunderstood and present a lot of challenges is dementia. So I would love it if Every student that left here, regardless of discipline, had had some of their myths and misconceptions squashed and had um, less ageist attitudes. That really intrigues me because we often talk about doing something across the curriculum, writing across the curriculum, right, you know, uh, indigenizing across the curriculum, those sorts of things. What does that look like for aging, I wonder? like. I think, yeah, I, I think... When you look at across the curriculum and and you think about aging, aging is so cleanly pigeonholed in the health sciences or the the practice professions where folks like a nurse, a social worker, are going to be trained to work with older people. So it's a very specific kind of education that we provide. But the thing is, aging is... Aging intersects everything, so it it extends beyond um, issues of gender or race or ethnicity or community. It simply it belongs to all of us. So I think if we look at how do we then take it across uh, widely across curricula, there's ways to think about how aging impacts each of the disciplines. I think a lot about business. I know there are um, there's certainly lovely intersections between health and business. And if you look at what will happen in the next decade, some of these uh, folks that are aging into that older adulthood stage, there will be much uh, a much greater percentage of them that actually had worked and and enter that time with with pensions so they have a different kind of financial uh, portfolio than in decades past where you would see a large number of the older population would be widowed women who had never worked outside their home so they enter older adulthood and their financial portfolio is government pensions so subsidized pensions there will be a large group of people now who have more money 
and uh, and and then more agency. So they want to be part of that decision making, and they want to be um, they'll want to be treated like full citizens, regardless of the fact that they might be eighty and look like a little old lady or a little old man. So it's easy to stereotype them as being less able. Um, but in fact, they won't be. So I, I, I think there is, um, I think there's opportunity across every discipline to think about how the students we educate today are going to interface with that particular demographic. I'm excited to watch that uh, your vision unfold and support it, and uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what that looks like. Talked, obviously, about we're used to it being housed in the health sciences, nursing. I'd love for us to talk a bit about nursing. We've talked, you and I, about sort of the state of, if you will. I'd love, um, as you uh, talk about the work that is nursing, I, I find that really inspiring, quite honestly, to hear you talk about it in those ways. And I wonder if you could could share a bit about, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Where are we at with this discussion? We are at a place that I never imagined we would be at. So I've been a nurse for over 30 years and I've seen us um, as a profession move in some ways that have been, I think, progressive and I think some ways that have um had have complicated our work in unanticipated ways and we have kind of hit this nexus at this particular time where so many things have happened at the same time and we didn't pay attention to the the little cues that we were starting to see or the the hints of erosion that we were starting to see and and this is is why we have, it seems like suddenly a, a huge nursing shortage or a huge primary care physician shortage. But we saw these things coming in the decades leading or the years leading up to this particular point. And the pandemic has just tipped the scales in a really quick and dramatic fashion. But I think... Part of what happened was we moved away from our purpose and away from our role and identity as nurses. We got lost in the middle as we achieved um, as we achieved more uh, maybe more respect for our role within the healthcare team. Um, we began to see ourselves as more autonomous, be more clear about what our role was. Certainly nurses aren't physician's assistants. Um, part of our origins were there, but we're, we're really partners. So we have a very different work to do, but a very complementary work. And we were able to articulate that a lot cleaner in the last... Um, last part of the last century and as we moved into into the the current time but in doing that we I think we lost our way so we lost our focus and we lost our place at the bedside and we lost our passion for that hands-on nurse nurses we do bodily care we work with our our hands and there's great 
pride, I think, into doing that. But we we kind of turned away from that work. And what I think the last couple of years of COVID has shown us is that um, that work is is what's needed. When you watch TV and they show you what happens when you walk through an ICU, you're seeing this beautiful dance of nurses who are just coordinating it almost looks like choreography as they prone a patient so you see several on one side of the bed several on the other and they're managing tubes and lines and it's all very synchronized and the next thing you know this person is now on their stomach instead of on their back it may look simple at a glance but it's it's this highly um collaborative uh, synchronized work where each of us our, our teamwork is is really strong and each of us knows what the next one has to do um, and it's all done in this highly stressful situation environment and and the outcomes are are often difficult but you find your way through it because you've been so close and because this work is bodily work um, so I'm I'm hopeful, while I would honestly say we have been, I think, quite lost in the last while, I'm hopeful that maybe this actually helps us find ourselves. Okay. What do you mean by that? What's, what's that hope rest in and what, what do you see? I hope it, it helps us find our way back to the bedside mm. where we look at that work not as beginning nursing work where we're anxious to move on to something different where we're in a role that we see as a leadership role because we have a different title or we're we're managing a lot of um of data we're a step away from the patient we're looking at policies and processes and we're we're managing the work of other people, perhaps care aides or LPNs or, or others on the floor, when really that is our work. That's, that's all part of our work, and we need to be there too. Um, so where we've seen nurses kind of step away from some of the bedside roles, I'm hoping that we see nurses come back. A place where it's been... Um, I think where we've seen a really big change is in long-term care. So the care of our older people, our most frail people, we saw nurses, RN nurses, pulled away. Um, and the bulk of the work, of course, is done by other care providers. But I think it's time to see more nurses come back into that work. What's the discourse like among nurses, associations? Yeah, can you talk a little bit about where that's at? Um, I think it's a mix of perhaps hope. I'm on the board of a couple of different gerontology nurses groups, our, our provincial group and our national group, and I think there is some hope that the devastating impact on older people that we've seen uh, through COVID, that in fact now more people are aware that this has been a poorly resourced piece of the healthcare pie and that we need to do much better. What has happened in long-term care is unconscionable. Um, and so dramatic change needs to happen. And, and of course it needs to be funded before it will be ha happening. Um, so I think there's a, 
a sense of hope, but I think there's also a sense that very quickly social concerns shift to another emerging issue and and it will be easy to lose the focus on whether or not we need to invest in the care of older people. So it's about keeping that conversation going. Um, for me, I try to inspire new nurses. So I teach in the first year of the program. I try to have them see that the care of older people is going to be part of what they do wherever they're working. Over half of the patients in any hospital at any given time are older. And so they need to recognize if they're working in eMERGE or ICU, wherever they are, it could be an exciting context, but it'll also be a context that they have to use a gerontology lens because the majority of their patients will be older. So having a passion for that will help them in that work. What do you see with incoming students? Mm. It's a different student. Um, well, in the first year, everybody's pretty excited. I have to say, I don't think they lose that. So they come in excited and they want to do the work. They don't usually know much about what nursing really is because media um, presents stereotypes that aren't, they're just not accurate. I think that they are needier in some ways. I think that they're also surprisingly resilient in other ways. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it ebbs and flows. I think it, it changes a bit all the time, but I, I think at the heart, actually, they're, they're not much different than they would be all along. They'll, there's a group that are really keen that do have some sense of nursing and they just go forward no matter what and excel. Um, and then there's a group that start and they're maybe not too sure. And it's up to us to, I think, have presented in a way that they can actually see themselves successful in that role. And then for others, it's maybe not the best choice either. And they they realize that it's not a job for everybody, but it's like so many as you describe it that you think it's one thing, but how can you really know because we only have these other images? So yeah, yeah. I wonder as we close a little bit here, um, curriculum. You know, as you bridge, we started with the age-friendly university and sort of your your aspirations to think about you know all students having some uh, attention around that. You talk about nursing students particularly in terms of their knowledge around it. You know, I guess two angles into that, you know, is it, um, how do you feel about the curriculum in doing the kinds of things you describe? The curriculum within nursing, um, there's so much that has to be covered in a four-year program. So it's really difficult sometimes for others to understand that at the end of four years, we've only made a beginner. We can't do more than that because each area carries such a, um, they're, they're all quite different. So whether you're teaching about pediatrics or surgery or advanced medical units or aging, each one of them is kind of a unique area. There's crossover for sure. There's um, nursing concepts and, and theories that apply to all areas of nursing, but there's a lot of specific learning that has to, they have, students have to do all along the way. Aging has always been given short shrift, though, in nursing, much like anywhere else. So there's tremendous ageism within the healthcare professionals or healthcare professions. And um, so we, we never have given a lot of 
uh, value to that education around an aging patient. Um, we've at times had specific aging courses and at other times we thought we could just thread aging content through the whole program. That's pretty much been given up because it just ends up being lost. If you don't have an aging champion on your faculty, then threading it through the curriculum, it just, it's gone. So we're back to most um, schools having a discrete course, like the course that I teach, the gerontology course in nursing. Um, I think the problem is if you only touch on it early though, so it's got to be both in my mind. You need to have a discrete aging course, but you also have to have opportunity to thread that content through so folks don't forget about it. Great. Last question from me, uh, and I think it's a nice way to cap given your nursing experience, your teaching experience, all the other things that you do that inspire so many. What would be the course you haven't been able to teach yet, but that you'd love to teach? Oh, well, this is a course that I have been thinking about um, with one of my CIRA colleagues, Dr. Leslie Jessamine, who has recently shifted back to the UK. Um, but we are in the throes of, of planning a, a dementia course. And so a course where, again, it would be targeted to any student in any discipline at the university, not those who are... Um, already aiming at a, a healthcare profession type role. So it would be to better understand the experience of people who live with dementia, better understand what a long-term care environment really is, better understand the risks, better understand the interventions. Um, all we see about dementia is the worst case scenario. And honestly, it is so wrong. So when I talk about systemic ageism tucked neatly right in the center is systemic dementiaism. So we have all kinds of um, really negative and really harmful attitudes towards folks who live with dementia. And I would love the opportunity to get um, to teach that course. I'll look forward to it. Great. You'll be helping me. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking some time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, I hope I made some sense here. Much more than that. Thanks.